This episode was recorded on Wajak Noongar Budja, and we like to pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This land has always been, and will always be, Aboriginal land. Kaya, Wanju, hello and welcome to the Youth Pride Network podcast, Queer Anne. My name's Hannah, my pronouns are they, them, and on this podcast, we sit down with LGBTIQA plus people from our community and talk about their experience of being queer. On today's episode, we sat down with Charlotte, one of the founders of the Youth Pride Network, to discuss the origins of the YPN, their perspective on the state of things for queer people in WA, what intersectionality means, and what their hopes are for the podcast and for the organisation. Charlotte has since left the YPN, but was an integral part of making it what it is today, and we're so grateful to them for that. So it seemed only right that our first episode would be with them. Hey everyone, my name is Charlotte, my pronouns are she, they. In terms of where YPN came from, (laughs) a really good non sequitur there. YPN came from the post-marriage equality era. Mm. So after the marriage equality campaign, myself, uh, Kai Schweizer and Mason Rothwell all were at Fair Day one day and I think kind of had the same idea which was that we had seen this incredible youth-led movement through the marriage equality campaign. And we wanted to make sure that once marriage equality was achieved, that that energy and momentum and voice had somewhere to go. Mm. And so we wanted to create the Youth Pride Network to provide a systemic advocacy body that could sort of continue to provide a place for LGBTQI plus young people to have their voice at the table. That was really important to us because I think that sometimes older members of the community and very rightly are quite critical of the fact that we talk about LGBTQI plus young people so much. Mm. And that's a really good point because it gives this impression that we are new and that we haven't always been here and that the only people who are part of our community are young people. Yeah. And I think that that like correcting that misconception is really important. But the thing that YPN was trying to address was that even though we talk about LGBTQI plus young people a lot and we're often the site of whatever moral panic is happening, (laughs) we actually don't talk to LGBTQI plus young people that often. No, yeah. And their voices are very rarely heard in these discussions. We're sort of the subject of conversation, not the participants. And so we really wanted to provide a place for the actual stories of LGBTQI plus young people to be heard by decision makers. Mm. And you've done such an amazing job um, sort of starting from the grassroots, all being volunteers and then continuing to advocate in multiple ways, just, you know, on the ground, just talking to people and, and having meetings with with politicians and decision makers and getting to a point where we could fund the organisation and that's where we are now, which is an amazing achievement. Yeah, and I think it's always been a case of sort of balancing for us between talking to queer young people, LGBTQI plus young people, which is what is the centre of what we do and the core of what we do, but then also building our relationships and talking to decision makers so that we can build our influence And the thing that I'm the most proud of YPN doing is actually creating a bridge between those two experiences and providing a way for the stories of LGBTQI plus young people that get told to us over and over again 
to actually reach the ears of decision makers and to get young people into those spaces and, and having those meetings and and telling their stories directly. Absolutely. There's definitely, uh, I mean, and we've talked about it, it's a lot in the discussion and the um, the, converse, the the discourse at the moment that we are in our little echo chambers in our bubbles. And especially in the queer community, there's a lot of safety in that. And that's why we stay with each other and we tell each other our experiences. But yeah, being being able to deliver those some of those really traumatic experiences, some of them are really positive, straight to the people that can make a difference has been so empowering for so many people, both in the community and outside of it. Yeah, and I think that people, it, it is always shocking to me, and it's something I have to continuously remind myself, is that a lot of our decision-maker allies often feel very apathetic to our cause, mm. but Actually, a lot of the time they sometimes that's true and I don't want to discount that, but but a lot of the time they are they genuinely don't realize mm. how bad it still is for LGBTQI plus young people. And I think genuinely don't understand the lived experience of LGBTQI plus young people and and what that day-to-day is still like. That's a um conversation that keeps coming up with the people that we're getting on the podcast is that, you know. A lot of people are really ignorant and it's it's easy to be ignorant and also um, bigoted towards um, people that you haven't met and actually sat down and had a cup of tea with. And once you've had a cup of tea with someone, and that's what YPN provides, is an opportunity for us to sometimes quite literally have a cup of tea with, you know, the Minister for Youth and and say, look, this is who I am, this is the conversations I'm having every day, and they're really hard. And they're going, oh, well, there you go. Maybe we should make a difference. How was my impression? Was it spot on? I think it was spot on. <laughs> um, so it's really exciting. Yeah, and, and I think that it is what I'm really excited about with this podcast series is bringing together those intergenerational discussions because I think there's oftentimes this perceived – I was I was talking to someone in a meeting about this the other day actually there's this perceived uh what's the word hostility mm. between uh older and younger generations of queer people and I think younger people come and they say well uh, older queer people think that we've got it so good and they don't realize what we're still going through yeah. and older queer people come and they say they don't you don't understand how good you've got it you don't uh you don't appreciate the sacrifices that we made to get mm. you your rights today. And I think that actually I've been lucky enough to be in the room with a lot of our queer elders mm. and have those conversations. And I think that a lot of that hostility is is misplaced because mm. I think there are so many young people who are so grateful to their queer elders. I am so grateful to the queer people who came before me. Absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of the time just don't, realize that those communities still exist and those elders are still here mm. and willing to have those conversations with young people and vice versa. I've also had lots of conversations with with our queer elders who have been incredibly willing to try and understand the, the new terminology and <laughs> uh, listening to what the actual experience is and, and when we talk about what the experience is are often very surprised and um willing to listen to, to those stories as well. So I think that hopefully this podcast can continue to sort of provide that intergenerational perspective. Absolutely. And it's so valuable. And um, I always want to pay 
my respect to the elders, the queer elders that came before me, the trans people that came before me, that carved the way and carved the community that we are in now. And I always want to do and continue to do the work um, to make our community better for the people that will come after me. Um, and I think that's a beautiful way to live. And I think YPN does that really well, for sure. Yeah. And I think we are, we're a really unique community in the sense that we don't, being queer is not an inherited thing. No. So our elders aren't our family members. They aren't our direct um, family. And, and I think that that's really important why it's so important for us to make those connections where we can and particularly with you know organizations like Bray, GLBTI Rights and Aging um, and different organizations because we do have this sort of weird thing where our uh, our community is so disparate because because it's not necessarily an, an inherited thing mm. as well. Absolutely and and you really have to go out and seek that that chosen family, that logical family, as Betty Crumble calls it, the um, rather than a biological family, um, and and sometimes you you might not know, yeah, what what other families are out there and the intersectional experience they might be having. So on this podcast, we'll be talking a lot about intersectional experiences and um, how that influences people's queerness and and such. Um, and yeah, how do you feel about those kinds of subjects? And and what are your thoughts on intersectional experiences of being queer? That's a good question. I guess like intersectionality came from black feminism and from black feminists and particularly looking at it from uh, originally intersectionality came from a legal context of understanding when we talk about things like discrimination law, uh, black women in particular were saying, well, we can't define the discrimination we experience just through misogyny or just through racism it is a unique experience that's the product of the, the multiple intersections that we sit at. Mm. So that's sort of the origin of intersectionality, my understanding, maybe fact check that um, <laughs> before you put it in the podcast. So I did some research and Charlotte is right. The term intersectionality was coined in 1989 by civil rights advocate and race theorist Kimberley Crenshaw. And it was originally used as a framework for understanding the complexity of the injustices that black women face. But the term has since been expanded to include all minorities and is used as a framework for understanding how different people's identities affect how they experience adversity. I'll let Charlotte explain it better. And I think that for our queer community, for such a long time, we have had to, I think both as a product of we've had to really synthesize and simplify ourselves to be understood and we are now in our mainstream dialogue. And I don't, I want to say now, but I also want to acknowledge that there are plenty of activists who were doing this decades ago. Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks come to mind immediately. But now I think there is more space in a mainstream context to actually explore the complexity of identity. I think historically as well, the queer community hasn't necessarily acknowledged the power dynamics within our community and the racism, the misogyny, the transphobia that has previously existed, the ableism, um, all the other kinds of discrimination that have played out in our community as well. 
um, and noting that historically we have excluded each other yeah. um, and, and doing that, but also acknowledging that in other ways we have been at the forefront of intersectionality um, in Western Australia uh, in the, I think it was either the late 90s or the early 2000s, Jim Morrison, um, uh, Aboriginal elder, was the patron of pride. Mm. And through that time, there was the creation of Queers for Reconciliation. And so in other ways, we have championed intersectional approaches, but have often been perpetuating different forms of discrimination and so I think that intersectional conversations are so important because they acknowledge the totality of who someone is and allow people to bring the entirety of themselves to a discussion and not have to, as uh, some wonderful activists I've talked to before have said, not, not have to leave part of themselves at home. Mm. And so I'm really excited to see these kind of intersectional discussions and, and what that looks like because I think that it'll be really fantastic to start having conversations in those nuances, acknowledging that those conversations have been happening within communities for a very long time as well. Mm. Yeah, wow. The entirety of your experience. It's, it's a wonderful, like, um, summary, absolutely. And I, I do think that queer people that do have an intersectional experience in certain contexts have to compromise on certain parts of themselves to be safe or to get through an experience or to you know, access services um, and that's something that a lot of people that might not be queer might not really understand or realise, you know, when you go to the doctors that you might have to just accept the doctor misgendering you for the sake of getting proper healthcare or, you know, if you want to pass your grades in school, you might have to accept your your teacher saying transphobic things to you or, or various other things or, um, you know, leave the, your queerness out of the conversation for fear of racism and, and it's... Um, it's a really challenging world to navigate and I'm also really excited to hear from so many different people's experiences. You know, this this podcast is an opportunity for the YPN and the people that are going to be our, you know, interviewees to have that cup of tea um, metaphorically and also almost literally. I, I haven't bought cups of tea yet but maybe I should. Um, you know, people from various walks of life that have a similar experience that get to go, yeah, that's, that sounds like what I have to deal with, but also, oh my gosh, that's how you deal with that. So it's very exciting to be able to do that. Mm. Yeah. I think that it is definitely a case of, it, it comes down to, you can't be what you can't see, um, which is, is been used so often, but it is so true. It is a, it is a case of, of actually understanding your ability to take up space. I think like for me, I'm, uh, like I have, uh, of like my family is Arab mm. and I think I've never been able to take up or claim that identity because it's not something I felt I've been in part of as a queer person. Mm. And it wasn't until I saw other queer Arab people and particularly people like Hamed Simo and, and, and people like that, that I was saying, oh, there's a place for me in this community and there's a place for me in this culture. And I think that that is such a common experience that we've all had in different ways and different places. And it's not until we we see that and we see someone who's taken that space for us that we're able to just sort of step in and take it ourselves. 
yeah, representation truly matters in in and positive representation and healthy representation. I think that so often the queer narrative can be one of of you know tragedy and or, or surviving you know rather than thriving and I think the YPN has a beautiful way of showcasing a diverse community of young people that are all thriving and and in their own unique ways and that's really powerful. Something that we actually I did a speech on this once where we don't oftentimes people will bring queer people to the table because they if they realise that they've forgotten us, often they don't realise they've forgotten us. But sometimes we're there because they want to meet a diversity quota or because they're scared <laughs> of losing, uh, you know, of, of us criticising them. I've had so many conversations with people who are so scared. I'm like, what? they're like, I'm like, what are you doing for queer people? And they're so, oh, you know, we need to do more. We need to, I'm sorry. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, it's not an interrogation, my friend. I'm just trying to figure out where to start so I can help you. Like so many people are so scared. Anyway, um, but particularly I, I, the thing that I try to get is to frame people's mind of you shouldn't have diversity around the table because you're scared of being called out for not having diversity. You should have them because having queer people around the table, we actually have some really interesting things to say. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> We've got some really valuable things to say and you should have us there because we're going to say really interesting and cool things and yeah. our queer young people are so talented and creative and uh, incredible. Not to mention a, a vast majority of us are neurodivergent, so we usually think <laughs> outside the box. <laughs> yeah, we are all um, all a little bit neurospicy. So, um, Mine has like two little chilies next to the name. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless. Yeah, I think I saw that as like a meme that was like, does the fact that people will call it mild autism imply the existence of spicy <laughs> autism? <laughs> or something like I actually love that. Queer people have um, have this beautiful chameleon ability to be able to. Um, I always I look at it as different roles, different hats, um, and different performances and different characters I have to play. And all those situations have allowed me to navigate conversations with people that have really different backgrounds and really different perspectives on queer people, um, people that have, are coming from a background of deep homophobia and deep transphobia and deep you know, discriminatory sort of perspectives and work with them and alongside them to keep myself safe and my community safe. And that's a unique skill. And so many of us have that. And, and yeah, take advantage of them. You know, I mean, I don't like capitalism, but we can make you money. <laughs> also pay young people. Yes, please. If you're going to use them <laughs> for your organization, please pay them. Um, but absolutely. I, I think people, it's something I really have not found a good way to explain to allies is what the experience of having to be in the closet is like and having to actually the amount of emotional and mental energy that goes into assessing a situation and then selectively silencing parts of yourself um I did an LGBTQI plus inclusion training once because you know (laughs) always good to always good to make sure I'm inclusive how is that um But they did do a really interesting exercise once where they got someone up and they said, hey, talk about what you did on the weekend with your partner, but don't 
give away what gender your partner is. And it was so funny Yum. to watch like a, a non-queer person try to do that. Um, oh, that is delicious. I wish I'd been a fly on the wall. <laughs> it was, and I think it was a real like validation moment of being like, oh, I do this all the time. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, and it is, yeah, we do. And I don't want to undermine or downplay how deeply traumatic that is, but like... <laughs> I also, um, yeah, it's it. We definitely have such a unique experience of of that, and um, I I remember Justice Kirby once, who's the first gay justice on the High Court, Hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Honorable Michael Kirby, um, talking about him before he was out he came out in the 90s when he was on the high court but he wasn't out they had to be careful as to who picked up the phone wow between him and his partner wow because obviously they still had landlines so back in the day yeah. there were these things called landlines <laughs> um let me explain a landline it's like a walkie-talkie <laughs> what's a walkie-talkie all right let's go back to um the radio signal when that was invented <laughs> um and they had to they had to screen the calls because yeah. it couldn't his husband if there was a call for Michael his um, his husband couldn't pick up the phone that would that would out him and it's yeah. just those things of like oh wow <laughs> yeah it's full on it's really full on and like um, yeah it's this it's this delicate tightrope balance I mean yeah for me my personal experience was trying to finish my university degree and basically just being willing to be misgendered by supervisors and lecturers just so I could pass Mm -hmm. because there was that fear of being like if I called them out on pronouns or called them out on being more inclusive that they might it might affect my marks or when I get into ride shares and I try to act either more masculine so that they think I'm a cis man or I try to act maybe more feminine so they think I'm not queer so that I don't get a bad rideshare rating. It's those silly little things that people don't even think about, but it's things we live with every day. Um, I have the same thing. My All my tutorials have participation marks. And so I've never asked, I've never asked any of my lecturers to use my correct pronouns because I'm like, I don't want you to, I don't like, you're not, because if I do that, you're going to be thinking about that and you're not going to be thinking and giving me my excellent participation marks that I desperately need you to give me. <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah. It's rough. It um, is. And I think that that then is exempl- like uh, even worse when – or not even worse, but then I think that why these intersectional conversations are really important is because then there are additional complexities that even like we don't acknowledge or, or that mm. different people in the community don't acknowledge. And I, I think, for example, like – if you go to the uh, a children's gender clinic in Perth, for example, mm. and you are screened and assessed that you might have autism, you're actually taken out of that diagnostic pathway and told to go get your autism sorted out Ugh. and then come back. Wow. Which, given that how high autism is in the trans community, is is uh, a really prevalent thing. And, and when you then have complexities of having to go through the family court that there's always the danger that that additional diagnosis can undermine your how you'll be assessed of understanding your own identity. Similarly, like I know so many people who have to navigate between cultural communities and can be out in 
the queer community but can't be out in their cultural community and how that they how that the threat of coming out comes with the threat of loss of culture and loss of access to your to your community particularly if you're a diaspora community or a religious community as well so there's so much that I think people don't see and hopefully these conversations can start to highlight some of that and for people who experience them can start to make those experiences seem visible and see seen. Absolutely. And also I think what's really exciting about this podcast on that sort of, the, the yeah, being able to shine a light on the intersectional experiences and the deep complexities of it is also that, you know, we don't want this podcast to be for allies. I feel mm. like so often these conversations are geared towards how can we break this down? And you said before early in the conversation about simplifying our identities for the sake of being accepted. Um that we don't want people to have to simplify their their stories or break down their experience in a way that feels like we're patronizing people within their within their community um so they can just be their authentic you know whole selves and and talk to our audience as though they are you know of a similar experience so that someone out there who's listening on their dodgy little samsung hiding in the backyard you know no tea no shade to um (laughs) to uh, samsung owners i was gonna get out my samsung phone (laughs) (laughs) you know might listen to it and go wow there's someone out there sitting in a studio on wajagnunga buja and is living the same experience as me and that's really exciting for me Absolutely. And for us. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Allies, you're allowed to keep listening if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please yeah. do drive up our algorithm. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on the the podcast, being like, yeah, and everything you've done to make the Youth Pride Network what it is now. Um, I, I don't think you realise the you and Kai and Mason, the, the incredible job you've done and how many doors it's opened for people like me and people on the committee and I see a really exciting future for queer people in WA thanks to YPN so thank you you're the best bud oh my gosh I'm gonna get emotional (laughs) classic Pisces I was like are they gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) um Um, yeah that's my my Pisces that's what you should do each guest ask them the the big three before they get started why didn't I ask for your zodiac like honestly that would be so sun Pisces moon Aries rising (laughs) just in case anyone wants to um they cry but they're also fierce (laughs) (laughs) um I'll cry but you'll never see it um no thank you and I think um I know you're trying to wrap up, but the, yeah, the right. last thing I'll say is I went to this amazing event run by Gray that was the about the history of camp, mm. which was the campaign against moral persecution. And they were kind of one of the first ever LGBTQI plus advocacy groups. And they were an incredible group in I think the the seventies. Um they would campaign to politicians for decriminalization. They ran support groups um, and they ran like the first ever kind of crisis phone line in Perth and just so incredible. And and we went to celebrate 50 years since their formation and, and heard from the original members. Um, and it was so cool. And it was just, I was standing there with Kai and Kai said to me, he was like, one day that's going to be us. Yeah. <laughs> in 50 years time, we're going to have a 50 years of, of the youth pride network and looking back on, on that. And so, um, Hell that's yeah. what I hope at least. Hell yeah. Yeah. I can't uh, wait. <laughs> I can so see that. And I, I see this legacy and just handing down, handing down mm-hmm. and just continuing to make things better. You know, in the, in the short time that 
I've been working with you and we've been working together. We've done some incredible work that I will be proud of forever. Mm. Um, and it's just, you know, being able to have something to show for our passion and our pain and our joy and our, our fierceness to be ourselves um, and to be able to stand in, you know, in the same room as decision makers that might have ignored us, you know, 10 years ago and be like, mm. can you please make a difference? And they say, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So go off, queen. <laughs> go off, crown. <laughs> go off, king. Go off, whoever you are. In, in conclusion, go off. That's amazing. Um, you're wonderful. And that's today's episode of Queer And. Huge thank you to Charlotte for coming on board, sharing your stories and your wisdom. We're so grateful for your work. The Youth Pride Network is a collective of queer advocates working to make Western Australia a better place for queer young people. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, at Youth Pride Network. For resources or information on the guests from today's episode, check out the show notes. For feedback or recommendations for upcoming episodes, hit us up via our website, youthpridenetwork.net. Help us fulfill the gay agenda by giving this episode a share or writing a review. Stay safe and thanks for listening. <laughs>